the film review podcast for movies most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the oubliette, discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free or whether it should be thrown back into oblivion forever. Ho, 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 happy holidays, listeners, and welcome to episode 92 of Movie Oubliette, the North Pole to South Pole spanning podcast for forgotten fantastical films, with me, Conrad, decorating my house with enough lights to land a plane in Cambridge, UK. Yes, and me, Dan, getting ready to eat three weeks of food in one day, down here in (laughs) Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) We focus on sci-fi, fantasy and horror films because we love high-tech French internet hacking, magical festive heroes and pets being murdered in front of quivering children. (laughs) Yes. So festive. (laughs) Isn't it just? Merry summer Christmas, Dan. How are you? Yes, and a Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Getting ready for the celebrations to come. Yes. So do you usually eat three times your body weight in one day? It seems like that. It's it really does (laughs) seem like that. It's it's in my house it it's like a day thing. So um I go over to my mum's or my mum comes over here and and it starts at before lunchtime and we have sort of pre lunch food (laughs) and then we have lunch and then there's like an afternoon tea and then there's a Another meal. It's 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 just a whole day event of consumption. <laughs> you really do sound like hobbits. That's amazing. Oh yes. <laughs> How about you, Conrad? Well, I used to, but I've gotten. To, <laughs> I hate to say it, I've gotten to the age where I just know I can't do that anymore because Boxing Day will be just sort of unbearable that I wouldn't be able to move or mm. breathe. Mm. So I have to pace myself now. But yeah, I do indulge myself. Yes. Sometimes I get tempted to fall off the vegan wagon these days, oh, but I haven't yeah. so far. Right, right. Cheese. It's cheese that tempts me. The Christmas cheese board. <sighs> yes, that 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 dreaded cheese. <sighs> board always gets you i know but so far <laughs> so good i've been doing okay with the cranberry stuffed vegan blocks that they make out of coconut oil or whatever i don't no? know what it is okay all right <laughs> but it sort of does the ticket so it's fine <laughs> so uh gearing up for the festive season have our listeners been talking to us they have yes and we have a new patron nina so uh, welcome, Nina. Hello, Nina. Thanks for sponsoring us. It's very kind of you. And we also have a new review. Oh, yes. Yes. It's titled So Much Nostalgia and Joy. <laughs> I'd never heard about Movie Oubliette until they did a crossover with Dreamland, and I instantly fell in love with Dan and Conrad's review methodology and entertainment value. Both appear to be very passionate and knowledgeable about the film industry, and each episode brings a nostalgic smile to my face. Most of the films that are reviewed I grew up with, and it's super fun to hear their take on them with that 2020 hindsight. Thank you both for such excellent entertainment. Aww. Christopher. That's so nice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Christopher. That's very kind. And oh, 
great to get some of those Dreamland listeners. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. We had so much fun in Iconicon this year. So it's great to have all the friends that we met there still along with us on the ride. It's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love Melinda and Aaron. We gotta get back on their podcast. We do, yes. And I think I think there is going to be an Iconicon twenty twenty two, so watch this space. On Starman, when we were talking about what's your favourite Jeff Bridges performance, Scuba Pete said, Tron for me. And Mm. Two Cents Toys said, Big Lebowski is my favourite movie of his, but my favourite performance of his is the 2010 True Grit. Oh, I haven't seen True Grit. It's uh, it's in one of those genres that I least watch. So, yes. Yeah. Westerns. Westerns. I'm the same. I'm the same. Yes, Westerns. Um, I watched it because I, I don't watch Westerns either, but I because of Jeff, I did watch it. And, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, Oscar nominated, wasn't it? Or someone it was, was Oscar yeah. nominated in it. Yeah, I believe so, but uh, it didn't win. He won for some weird movie called Crazy Heart that I have not seen. No, I haven't seen that either. Yeah, in terms of my favorite Jeff Bridges, I quite liked him in um, The Fisher King. But oh yeah, yeah, I, I'm just it's just my uh, my soft spot for Terry Gilliam. I think yeah, probably. Well, the dude in The Big Lebowski is a very popular one. Wicked Person also went for that. The first movie uh-huh. I saw with him uh-huh. was Tron, then Starman, and eventually his work in The Big Lebowski, True Grit, and Crazy Heart all made good impressions. So I think it's mm. really the Big Lebowski that everybody loves. That's probably um, my favorite sort of rewatchable Coen mm. Brothers movie. Yeah, there's so many levels to that movie, <laughs> and <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah, it is good fun though. Yes, very quotable too. Oh yeah, on uh, creepy babies. Uh, thinking about Starman again, Nick Hardy uh-huh. said. At a film night a while ago, we watched a film called 666 The Demon Child. It has an impressive (laughs) 2 out of 10 on IMDb. The baby was pretty odd and creepy, but possibly because the budget for the film was probably lower than the rental cost we actually paid to watch it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds like a winner just (laughs) from the title alone. It does, doesn't it? It sounds like something you find, you know, in one of those random searches on Amazon Prime. But ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Poor Nick. That sounds like it was an ordeal. If anybody else has seen that movie, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. On favorite quote from Starman, Rhett B. Lowry says, Do you seriously expect me to tell the president that an alien has landed, assumed the identity of a dead house painter from Madison, Wisconsin, and is presently tooling around the countryside in a hopped up orange and black 1977 <laughs> Mustang? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's a good quote. Out of context, (laughs) very strange. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's like one of those things on Twitter where they get people to come up with a synopsis for a movie that makes it completely weird Mm. and unrelatable to the movie. Mm. (laughs) And on Snow White, not many people have seen Snow White, A Tale of Terror. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yes, we really have scraped the bottom of the oubliette with that one, it seems. So Luis Saavedra said, never knew that this existed. Got to watch it now. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So that is good. 
And when I asked, what's your favourite dark reworking of a fairy tale? Eddie Coulter said, my favourite would have to be The Company of Wolves. The visual look and creepiness of the film ensnared me from the first time I caught it on cable TV and made me a fan of Neil Jordan's work. Mm, Yeah, yeah. early Neil Jordan. Very early, yeah, very early 80s. So I can attest to that. That is a bewitching, beguiling movie. Well worth Mm, a watch. Yeah, it is very dark. Lots of uh, murder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the wolf transformations always stuck with me because it's not what you expect. It's very different visually mm. how they achieved that. Yes. So, yes. yes. And, of course, finally, it just wouldn't be an episode and it wouldn't be a festive episode without Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. <laughs> of course. Hello, Surge. Happy holidays. Yes. Happy holidays, Serge. Snow White, A Tale of Terror feels frustratingly incomplete and listless. And for once, I don't feel bad for saying so, because apparently the director agrees. He was locked out of the editing room in post where lots of subplots and character development were left on the cutting room floor. So, yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good word for it. Listless. Yes, that was our final critique of the film. Mm. I mean, when you skim through the film, it, it does feel like it is. It should be a good film, but yeah. when you watch it, yeah, it just doesn't work. No, Strange. it's less than the sum of its parts, and frustratingly, mm. it's because some of its parts are missing. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, but there you go. So it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. And Serge summed it up well. So thank you, Serge, especially for another year of tweeting along with us. It's been great to have you along for the ride and we can't wait to do our next episode with you. I'm so impressed by your dedication, Serge. (laughs) Every single week you managed to track down the film and watch it and uh, tweet about it. It's... (sighs) Bravo. <laughs> I know. I feel bad. I feel a sense of responsibility. It's like, oh no, Serge is going to have to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but then all of you do, listeners. So, yes, we feel a great sense of responsibility. And I guess mm. we should find out, Dan, what we're responsible for this time. Oh, yes. Yes. One moment. <laughs> Oh, I love the decorations down towards the oubliette today, Conrad. Oh, yeah. I've gone full on with the tinsel. It's very nice in here as well. Mm. Oh, there's a toy train coming towards me. Oh, how festive. With the movie. Nothing too uh, dangerous. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay. Bobby! Salva Bobby! <sighs> All right, I'm back. Ooh, what have you got for us? Well, of course, it is the festive season, so we have to do a festive film. So today we are going to be discussing the 1989 horror thriller, uh, (laughs) Deadly Games, a.k.a. 3615 Code Pierre Noel, a.k.a. Game Over. And I think there is another title. Um, Yeah, there are so many. Yes, yes. It's written and directed by Rene Menzor, and it stars... I'm sorry, these are all going to be terribly pronounced French <laughs> names. Alan Lalanne? Maybe maybe you should pronounce these names. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I can give it a shot. Um, okay. Alain Lalanne, Louis Decreux, uh, Brigitte Forcet, uh, Stéphane Legros, Patrick Florsheim, and François-Éric Gendron. That's that's Mm -hmm. my my best attempt from my GCSE French. (laughs) (laughs) 
definitely much better than what I would have uh, attempted. Uh, so as you can tell, it is a French language, French film. Mm, our second on the oubliette, I think, after mm. the City of Lost Children. That's right. That's right. Mm. Uh, so in this movie... Of course, it's Christmas time and not a parent in sight. Young Thomas and his granddad are home alone on Christmas Eve as Thomas, seeking to find out the truth about Santa's existence, stays up until midnight. However, what descends down the chimney into his home isn't Marv or Harry or even Santa, but a dog-killing, murderous psychopath intent on a game of hide-and-seek. Oh, dear. Can Thomas protect his virtually blind puppy with a series of Kevin McAllister-level booby traps, or will all the presents this year be stained with blood? And you can keep the change, you filthy animal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does sound very familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's quite similar to another quite famous movie that we will discuss uh, <laughs> with our guest joining us today. Yes, can't wait for that. Yes, after the break, mm. grab your mittens and eggnog. We'll be back. <laughs> Joining us today is a writer, a director, and my vegan Jedi master. It's (laughs) three-time returning champion, Duncan Skiles. Hello, sir. Hello. Great to be back. How's your vegan journey going, Conrad? (laughs) It's good. Yeah, three years, still going strong. That's awesome. Well, this is our festive edition, so I was going to ask you about your festive choices. I remember you did a fantastic video once where you compared different alternative roasts. Do you have something else that you've discovered that's now your culinary secret weapon for the festive season? No. Um, (laughs) You know, like having a small child and the time to cook, those two things aren't necessarily compatible. But my wife recently discovered this um, creamy mushroom pasta that was really easy to make. And it's the kind of pasta that you cook with the sauce and it was so creamy and umami and just like delicious and really easy to cook. So I think that would go down well during the holidays. I'm a big like mushroom fan. So mm. I have made mushroom gravy. There's a recipe from the New York Times. It involves red wine and that's always a hit. Okay. So I would recommend that. Nice. That sounds good. Yeah. So what have you been up to since uh, the last time we spoke to you? When was that? Gosh, it's over a year. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I've moved back to my hometown. My family's here, and it's a nice, chill vibe, which is what I was feeling. I wanted to get away from the city for a while. I've been doing freelance work, mostly editing, which is all right, pays the bills. I'm really looking forward to the editing interface that's more like Minority Report, you know, that's not just like (laughs) sitting and clicking and stuff like that. I hope that happens in our (laughs) lifetime, because that would make the experience like a lot more enjoyable. You know, like playing in a sandbox as you edit. Um, And I've been writing. I just finished the first draft of a new thing that I've been working on for a while. It's a horror movie, kind of inspired by 
the faculty and invasion of the body snatchers, but with like a social media twist. Oh, wow. It's the first draft, so it kind of sucks. <laughs> I showed it to some people. You know, some people were like, this is cool, keep going. And some people just didn't get it at all, which is fine. You know, it's what you get on the first cut of a movie, too. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a lot of ideas, and then you just kind of got to pick a lane. So I got irons in the fire creatively. I'm like really itching to make another movie, but. Um, Writing just takes time. Oh, yeah. But, like, I'm in a space where I'm, like, excited to be working on this stuff. And I think that's what's most important. You know, I'm enjoying the process. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it hasn't been a good time for production, but it's a great time for writing. Yeah, yeah, true. Did you guys see that movie that was made during quarantine about people on a Zoom call that gets haunted? Oh, yeah. Host. It's on Shutter. Yes. That was pretty clever. <laughs> they pulled that out so quickly. Yeah. And some of the stunts were quite impressive. Yeah. For a small group of people working in lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been... Sort of keeping tabs on anything. <laughs> you just watch old movies, old obscure movies. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Also because all the cinemas have been closed, and yeah, yeah, I don't have Shutter, and yeah. <laughs> Well, the film that we have to discuss today is an old movie, and it's also on Shudder, at least in the US. It goes by many names. Mm. Had anybody seen 3615 Code Pen OL or Deadly Games or Dark Code Santa Claus or Game Over before? <laughs> no. No. I had not heard of it. Neither. Which was very exciting. Yes. That's why I picked it. None of us had seen it? Mm. No. I mean, the original title alone just doesn't spark any interest at all. <laughs> well, which one of the titles? It, like, it was actually hard to find because it goes by a different name on Wikipedia or Shutter or Letterboxd, mm. depending on where you're trying to find it. Like, if you put Père Noël into Shutter, it won't come up. Right. Yeah, it's very confusing. I think the original name was 3615 Code Père Noël. It's from 1989. It's a French horror thriller. And I think it's primarily known because it bears a striking resemblance to a hit holiday season movie that came out in 1990. So much so, I believe the director toyed with the idea of taking legal action. Oh, He certainly still says to this day that if he hadn't made this movie, then Home Alone wouldn't exist. Oh, I don't know. I know. <laughs> it's a much darker film. Surprisingly so, I found. How did everybody else find it? It is dark. It's a mix of tones. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I mean, my initial reaction as the credits were rolling was just laughter. Mm. Not because I thought it was a funny movie or it was a bad movie, just that I couldn't believe the lengths they would go. Like, this is like childhood trauma yeah. level dark. Right, right. It's <laughs> not something you would show any child ever. No, definitely <laughs> not. They to be traumatized about killing Santa. I was thinking that as I was watching it that this would have traumatized me had I seen it as a kid. Yeah. I mean the guy who plays Santa or the vagrant is um disturbing just mm. standing there. Yeah. yeah. Interesting choice. Patrick Florsheim, who apparently is primarily, sorry, was, he's no longer with us, sadly. He was primarily a voiceover artist in France. So he was cast in a role where he has virtually no lines whatsoever. Mm. And kudos to him. He's terrifying yes. and creepy in so many ways. Yeah. Mm. But the Santa Claus, I didn't quite get in terms of his motivation. Oh, definitely not. I was wondering if you guys knew. <laughs> he just wanted to play. He just wanted a, a good childhood game of hide and seek. <laughs> you, yeah, I wonder. Because it opens with him trying to snowball fight with those kids. Yeah. yeah. And they don't let him play. And then he's sad. 
And then there are several moments throughout the film where he's distracted by the toys. Yeah. You know, like there's a rigged train, model train coming his way, and he just like picks it up and wants to play with it. Yeah. It, it, he was a sad character. He yeah. was. And it made me wonder what the overriding theme of the movie is. Because on the one hand, you have this kid who's very intelligent and very resourceful, but also still believes in Santa or still wants to. But his best friend's a bit of a dick and says that he's not real. So he feels like he has to get photographic evidence or something of Santa. So he sets up this trap to film him. Great premise. Yeah, it's a great premise. Mm. But I just couldn't figure out if the film is trying to say that being a man-child is good, holding on to your childhood fantasy is good or whether it's great to have it crushed early <laughs> didn't get what it was going for it opens up with that quote yeah uh, which says something to the effect of like all children reject magical thinking when they become adults except for those for whom reality offers nothing Something like that, which seems to yeah, yeah. encourage, you know, holding on to magical thinking as you get older. But it definitely felt like a, it was going for like a coming of age, like a kid's glimpse into the darkness of reality. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. I mean, my take on it was that Thomas and Creepy Santa were <laughs> kind of the same, but in different bodies. Like, they were sort of trying to hold on to their innocence. Like, Thomas was still trying to hold on to the belief of Santa and Creepy Santa was uh, <laughs> sort of holding on to his, I don't know... Mental illness. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Enjoyment of childhood games and snowball fighting and, and the magic of Santa and that scene with the girl that says, oh, you're not Santa, and pulls his beard down. He's, you know, he doesn't want to accept reality that he is yeah yes he is an adult that should probably you know have a job and live in a house and stuff so <laughs> i guess it's that sort of fine line between those two characters he doesn't want to grow up yeah but yeah i don't exactly know why murder is also the option <laughs> right <laughs> but when you can't you know play with kids maybe he would try come into the house and like want to play with the kid right yeah yeah it does take that turn it does. After he gets fired mm. and then overhears that there's going to be a delivery to the house, like he seems to be on an objective mm. to kill <laughs> or to cause some kind of harm at that point. But then throughout the film, he goes back and forth. He has plenty of opportunities to close the deal, Yeah, but he just doesn't. Yeah. No, it's peculiar, isn't it? Because although he kills lots of people, which is shocking, when he does finally catch up with Thomas... He just wants to play hide-and-seek. Mm. And it kind of reminds me of that Garfield strip where Garfield's being chased by a dog and he stops and says, <laughs> OK, let's just find out what exactly you want to do here. And the last frame is them dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's the target audience for this film? Well, <laughs> like, it's too dark for children, but at the same time, it's not going into the territory of, like, gory, like, fun horror. Right. There's, there's not much gore in the movie. You don't really see any kills. It's always just the bodies. Yeah. Well, the, the dog yeah. was the most graphic. I mean... The dog was shocking. Yeah. Well, that's when the film takes a hard <laughs> screeching turn, isn't it? Because right. prior to that, you have seen him kill someone, but it does that coy PG-13 horror movie thing of he kills somebody and then you see a ragdoll toy fall out of the back of the truck where the murder is happening. Right. And you focus on that like a substitute 
body. So mm. it's sort of, okay, it's going to be suggestive and cute. It's going to be fine. <laughs> And then he starts <laughs> kicking a dog to death and stabbing it with a cake knife <laughs> yeah. on screen. And it's really shocking. Right after a gauzy slow-mo scene of him coming down the chimney and Thomas having this wonderful childhood moment. And then he gets to watch Santa kill his dog. Mm. And it's just the hardest handbrake screeching turn I've ever seen a movie <laughs> make tonally. Yeah. yeah, it's something that I would have really, really been into when I was in college, when I was really about tonal oh, yeah. shifts like that. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw Happiness of the Katakuris, that uh, Takashi oh, that Japanese, film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a musical, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a musical, and there's some horror, and there's some claymation in it, and it's just like a bunch of stuff jammed together. Mm. And I, I was really into that kind of genre mixing. Like we made a sitcom called... It was a short. It was called Me and My Hostage. Yeah. It's about this guy, and he's got a guy tied up to a chair, you know, and it's done in sitcom format, but then, like, it takes a hard turn towards, like, a violent thriller at a certain point. Right, right, that right. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah, sort of the, the combination of black comedy and horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is, like, fun for people who like films, you know, and who have seen a lot of movies to just start smashing things together and see what happens and to mm. like play with the audience like that. But as I've matured, I've realized that it's like harder to kind of pull off unity and to get those kind of shocking moments in there, but like still have people invested in the story is more what I would go for now. Yeah. I mean, I think this movie does set itself apart from other holiday-themed movies because it does establish the connection between Thomas and his granddad quite well. Like, they're really touching moments between them. Yeah, yeah. that's a good relationship. Granddad was pretty lax about the uh, whole deal with the murderer loose in the house and then letting his grandkid just go pursue him, right? Well, France is a very permissive society with kids. It's true, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I mean, I know that the age of consent is much lower there and you give kids wine at the dinner table when they're incredibly young. Right. I didn't realise that you let them drive a car, operate a blowtorch, build traps <laughs> in your house and and take on violent people that have invaded your home. But, you know... You learn something new every day. That's the great thing about watching foreign movies. You learn something about the culture. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think also it goes against tropes as well, because he's way more resourceful than any 10-year-old boy should be. Yeah. Mm. I mean, one thing I do like about it, in comparison with Home Alone's Kevin McAllister, whose resilience and booby trap manufacturing come out of nowhere. I mean, there's no justification for it at all. This kid's ready. I mean, if any kid's ready for somebody to invade his home, this kid is ready. Mm. That's right. It's set up. Yeah. I would say that it was kind of a trope of the time with the like super smart kid who's good at computers. Oh, yeah. Like war games. I remember this movie called Ruskies where this kid had set up like a Rube Goldberg device to sweep his bed after he got out of it. <laughs> I've got a question for you guys. What is 3615 Dial Santa Claus a reference to? Is that the early internet thing? That yeah, they were... so this is a question I had as well, because this is something I've never come across. Yeah. Conrad, do you have any answers? Yeah, I do, because I visited Paris a lot, um, and still do, and I was there when the Minitel service was still in place, because it, I think they only killed it in like the early 2000s. Right. So Minitel was like a precursor to the internet. It was based over the telephone. It was essentially sort of dial-up speeds, Yeah. and it was sort of like... Did you guys have like a teletext service on the TV in your countries? Yeah, we did, but I don't think we had it. No. On our shitty TV. No, but I, I've seen videos on YouTube of like 
news pieces from Britain. Yeah, so we had it mixed in with our television signals. So you could right. press teletext and you could page through information, news, weather. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Minitel took it a step further. It was a device on its own. It looked like a small computer. Mm. It was connected to your phone line and you could mail order things. There was online dating. Really? So it was a really early form of wow. the internet. But was it global? No, no, just, just France. France. So the director <laughs> makes fun of this, that France is excellent at inventing things and then not making good use of them. Like they invented cinema and then just failed to export it. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. So the 3615 is you'd log on to Minitel and then you'd put that in like you would put in like an IRC address. Yeah. And then you'd hook up with somebody on the other line who was pretending to be Santa Claus. Yeah. Right. But the wires got crossed at some point and the person on the other line was the antagonist in a public square on like a public Minitel system. And that was just a coincidence, right? Yeah, I think so. It's a very unlikely coincidence, though, isn't it? I don't think he's hacking a Minitel. That's the most unlikely part of the story. Yeah, Yeah. I felt like for a movie aimed at the Minitel as a piece of the plot... They don't really spend a lot of time on it. Right. No. Um, or explain it or like there's only like two scenes with it or yeah. one scene. I know. And the director talked about the fact that I think he was trying to buy some flowers and he ended up on some sort of porn channel by accident. <laughs> so he realised that you could end up with crossed wires and you could mm, end right. up with a stranger invading your home. And this was a new idea back in 1989. Yeah, if that had been the catalyst for the guy finding the house, that, yeah. that would have tied in. Nicely. It would have done, Mm. but instead they just went for sort of Miracle on 34th Street. But what happened to the guy that got fired as Santa Claus? Right. He broke into your home and tried to kill your kid. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such a great premise. I mean, this kid who's like all prepped for a home invasion and he's obsessed with Santa Claus. And then a nefarious character dressed as Santa Claus enters the home and it's on, I just feel like it didn't quite deliver on that premise. No. I would say this movie is ripe for a remake if Home Alone didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I felt there was quite an American influence on this film. Like, it didn't seem very French. Mm -hmm. Like, there are a lot of American references to Rambo and Stallone movies. I didn't do a lot of digging into the director. Did he do music videos? Uh, No, his first movie was a commercial success in France. It was called The Passage, and it starred Alain Delon. Mm. And as a result, he was sneered at in his home country, because if you have a commercial success, you're a sellout. So he, (laughs) he couldn't get another job he claims for years so he was just editing trailers just to pay the bills so he learned two things one that you need really great shots for your trailers and also how to edit so he took that and his obsession with Spielberg and De Palma and you know he loved genre filmmaking and he claimed that it was pretty much dead in France in the 80s and 90s because of the French new wave which was all about experimentalism and gritty reality and not filming in a Mm. studio and a complete rejection of the Hollywood film narrative method. Mm -hmm. So anything that looked like that and looked like it was infused with the American style was kind of sneered at. So this film is very much a love letter to that, but oddly enough, it's the kind of movie that would just never be made in Hollywood, certainly not in 1989. Mm -mm. No, it's got that American influence, but things happen that would never happen in a mainstream American movie. This is right around the time that Luc Besson was coming up. Mm. I mean, he had made uh, La Femme Nikita right around this time. 
Mm-hmm. He was a genre guy in France, and I see some parallels there, like the wide-angle lenses and sort of bombastic set pieces. Yeah, right. True. This must have been on the cusp of that wave or something like that. It, it must be, yeah, because another film that this put me in mind of was City of Lost Children. Yes. Me too. Which also has a very disturbing scene with Santa Claus in it. Yeah. But that creates a world entirely of its own, and it was entirely filmed in a studio. Mm. Yeah, those high-angle shots with the... Uh, steam coming out of the pipes mm. i definitely thought of the Genet guys yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. a lot of it reminded me of a music video like when santa claus is going to town on the car with a sledgehammer or a pipe of some sort mm. and it's just like the shots of the kid and his grandpa reacting it's like close-ups of them reacting like they're screaming in slow motion without audio it all felt very dreamlike and music video like yeah yeah I think that's why a lot of the scenes don't work because they rely too heavily on music as yeah. a focal point. I mean, with horror, you need things to drop out. You need right. to, you know, build tension with with no music or sound design. But there were moments where the music was pretty much the sound design in that car scene when he's like hitting the car with the seat hammer. There are hits in the music, uh-huh. to sort of punctuate those actions. And yeah, I think music was definitely a, more of a focal point than sound. And when Santa Claus is running down the hallway towards the kid and the kid's trying to get his wristband to open the trap door and he accidentally closes the gates around the windows and then when he finally does get the thing to open it's just it just continues musical slow motion as Santa Claus like slowly falls and then goes to the next scene. Yeah. yeah, and so it, it completely just takes away all the tension and, and action yeah. from the scene. And it, it does feel, yeah, 100% like a music video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do think the shots are very well composed, though. I can certainly see the De Palma influence. Yeah. You know, there are some really great low-angle shots outside in the snow as the mother's racing to get home. And the shots of the, like, the model work. That was cool. Yeah. It's kind of obvious, but it is still sort of charming. Yeah. There are some really good scenes, though, where where you think, hang on, is it a model? Mm. Like, there's one scene where there's sort of a close-up of um, Thomas on the roof and then it like pans up and then there's a huge like th- almost like three six it was like what that was seamless what's going on here I, the, yeah i thought it was a model <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it looked like the same thing because yeah. it was modeled on a real castle mm. oh yeah the chateau de Uce. uh it's near paris <laughs> chateau deuce yeah <laughs> it's outside but I didn't buy it in terms of like, what's this family living this giant castle? Well, because business mom is so successful. Yeah. She is. That's right. That's what you do as a career woman in the 80s. You you buy a toy store, you live in a castle. Yeah. yeah. That's like 100 miles away. Oh, yeah. Like two hours. She was driving something. for yeah, so long. She was. <laughs> yeah. And then she calls a meeting first thing on, was it Christmas Eve? Yeah, it was. And then tells everybody that she wants a circus in the store. Yeah. yeah. Today. <laughs> Get the clowns in. Mm. We gotta ramp up the show here, people. My son doesn't believe in Santa Claus. Get some clowns in front of the store. Yeah, and then when the day is done, she wants to stay there and count her money. Yeah. Yeah, so she's basically Scrooge. Yeah. And she has this guy called Roland, who is basically, I wrote down, Bob Cratchit with benefits. He stays <laughs> behind and works all night on Christmas Eve to count all the money for her. And she's also sleeping with him. So. Right. 
<laughs> which is a sore point for the kid, right? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. But I don't think I get the sense that, you know, the trope for the 80s particularly was that business dad or business mom were people who were uninvolved in their kids and their kids felt a little bit abandoned. I don't get that sense from Thomas at all. No, I don't either. Well, he's got his granddad, so mm. he's not entirely abandoned. No. Yeah. Well, she seemed emotionally available in that early scene at the dinner table. Yeah. And like that she was going to great lengths to help him with uh, what he was processing with his dad. And perhaps like that explains her permissiveness to let him take over the house and make it into a uh, fantasy fortress. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of which, the secret room with all of the you know generations of toys are stored in this secret room that you can only get to through the refrigerator in the garage. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? It was generations of toys throughout the family. Yeah, but specifically the men in the family stored all of their toys, so it was like a secret man cave of. Toys. Okay, speaking of manhood, maybe the lyrics to the song that plays three times in the movie has a clue to the themes of the movie. Okay, this is by Bonnie Tyler. It's called Merry Christmas. The lyrics include Happy birthday, Christmas. Welcome, holy Jesus. Although you reign on earth, who can understand why even a child learning the truth always learns pain? Why does he have to cry to become a man? Help me, Santa Claus, come close to my heart. All my doors are closed. I can't play my part. I can't play my part. Kids don't grow up like us. You could change the plan. Here comes the darkness. Time to be sad. Here comes the rain. Please don't leave him hopeless to become a man. To become a man. If this isn't the most depressing Christmas song (laughs) ever recorded, I want to know what is. Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely not joyful. So there's some hard-hitting montages of the kid sitting next to the moonlit window, you know, like thinking about what he's going to do with crazy Santa Claus loose in his house. And he's... He's becoming a man. Apparently so, yeah. yeah. But is this good? Is this something that we're supposed to think is good? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also like, as well as the belief in Santa or the non-belief in Santa, it's also the belief in the heroes of 80s and 90s, kids, uh, like boys especially. Um, it's a whole war aspect. Like he's obsessed with Rambo and he's got like yeah. all the toy guns and stuff. And that sort of juxtaposition of, of glorification of G.I. Joes and, and tanks and guns and stuff and the actual re- reality of war and so thomas is faced with reality of holy shit we might die tonight right yeah it's just like the scene where they have to be cut down to the lowest of the low to be able to rise up again and Mm -hmm. defeat their enemy which is pretty much every stallone movie ever made yeah yeah speaking of which anybody else uncomfortable with the lingering shots of the 10 year old boy's sweaty body yes (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i think it's the whole referencing to rambo but yeah i don't know whether it works for a child (laughs) well no i mean obviously i see i thought it was a parody because when the movie started with twinkly synthesized christmas music and an eiffel tower in a snow globe in a snowy misty scene and then it's crushed by a garbage truck i thought (laughs) okay yeah i can see where we're going with this And so I thought it was sardonic, but apparently, I don't know, I get the sense from listening to the director that it's entirely straight. Like, this is a tragedy we're about to Mm, witness. mm. This child's innocence and their love of Christmas being destroyed Mm. by Psycho Santa. It's disillusionment. Yeah. Mm, I don't think it's meant cynically at all. Mm. How would it be meant cynically? 
You mean if it was just played as a laugh? Yeah, like so many Christmas horror movies uh-huh. that it's like, well, here's Christmas, so let's just take a torch to it. Right, right, right. And have fun. Right. Which, you know, I do enjoy. You know, I, I like Gremlins as much as the next man. Yeah. Have you seen Krampus? I have. Yes. yes. I haven't seen but it. I'm yeah. very excited to see the new cut of it. Oh, there's a new cut? Yeah. They had to take various bits out to make it palatable. Uh, really? So he's put them all back in now. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. It's filmed in New Zealand as well. Mm. Of course. Yeah, if you want. <laughs> reliable snow that's the one place to go I'm a big fan of Trick or Treat mm. yes and the, that movie took me a couple viewings to get into because it's hardcore yeah there's like child murder in the first 20 minutes but I see what that guy's going for now and that's kind of like what you're that sounds like taking a torch to it which I would enjoy yeah for Christmas because I find Christmas kind of annoying in general yeah <laughs> I used to be a big fan used to be a big fan not anymore it's just too overdone it comes too close to Thanksgiving and then the culture here, I don't know about where you guys are, but it's saturated. Yeah. And yeah. every story is about how it's not about the gifts and it's really about charity and togetherness and stuff like that. So Family. Yeah. yeah but the actual experience of it is so much about money and buying stuff. Yeah. It's enough to disillusion a person, really. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I've never understood America as well. What you just said with Thanksgiving being so close. It's just Christmas early. Yeah. Like you haven't, you've got two Christmases. Yeah, we do. And Thanksgiving is the better one because you eat and then you don't have any of the other bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> right. You don't have to give presents. Yeah. You just get to eat. The tree is cool. You know, it smells good and the lights on it. It's really pretty. It's nice to make the dark part of winter festive in that way. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's bizarre over here because we have it in summer. Oh, yeah. Our decorations are still traditional. Yeah. So we've got the snow on all the shop windows and stuff, and it makes no sense because it's like 30 degrees outside. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Leftover from colonization, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) See, I still enjoy it. I'm still a bit of a sucker for Mm. it. But for me, it really is family time. Yeah. Maybe when I was a kid, I wanted presents, but as I get older i just want a week off work and to spend time with my family Mm, i'm looking forward to it especially this year because for us christmas was cancelled in the uk last year christmas was Mm, cancelled yeah oh my goodness if they tried that over here there'd be uh gun toting an insurrection (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah they would i don't blame you now it's time for random trivia so dan what Fascinating piece of trivia did you find in a trapdoor in your house today? <laughs> well, did you know that, uh, I mean, this movie is all filmed in the studio, so mm. the snow wasn't real. It was all salt. Oh, Piles salt. of salt. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> th- there is a scene where Thomas runs outside barefoot, and I just thought, oh, that, that must have been hard, grueling, but yeah, all yeah. salt. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, make sure you haven't got cuts. cuts. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, that would stink, yeah. <laughs> Good trivia. That's our trivia. Do you have any behind-the-scenes stories about the making of Père Noël? Like, how much it costs? How did it get made? I mean, this is such a weird movie. I'm really curious how he convinced people to back this. You said he had a film before this that was really successful? Yeah, and that was The Ticket. So his brother and Alain Delon were co-producers on this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, René Manzel's brother is primarily known for music, is a producer and singer and writer, and wrote the Bonnie Tyler song that graces this movie, as well as the score. Oh, Mm, nice. I mean, this film's a family affair. His son is... 
the main the lead the, main kid. the lead actor yeah that's the director's son yeah oh wow cool so yeah all those tight close-ups of his sweaty body that's his kid <laughs> that's <his> dad. <laughs> yeah that's my boy <laughs> need to make you more sweaty son <laughs> <laughs> he put him through a lot he did i'd be really curious to know how that all went down on set you know i mean i've worked with kids before i had a kid walk off one of my sets because we were doing too much Right. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, it was re- it was sad. You know, he started crying and walked off because we, we were doing like an effects heavy sequence and he had these like wires glued up into his nostrils and he just couldn't take it anymore. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. But this kid in this movie had went through much worse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not an actor anymore, but he still works in film. Mm-hmm. He's a special effects producer. Okay. For really big Hollywood movies. Oh, yeah, cool. Stuff like Avatar and so on. Gravity. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I guess with this, because it's his dad, the way they talk about it is it was just a game. They were just playing. Mm. But, I mean, yeah, it's a lot that he puts him through. Mm. Yeah, and they really manhandle him, too. You know, when Santa Claus does get him, he doesn't uh, put the kid gloves on. And, you know, there's, like, some pushing him against the wall and squeezing his face. It looks real. Yeah. yeah, and he even cuts him at one point. You know, these are things that would never happen in an American movie. You would never oh, yeah. have a kid get <laughs> slashed by Santa. No. <laughs> well, I don't know. See, I haven't seen Silent Night. Deadly Night, that's supposed to be pretty nasty. Uh-huh. Okay. No, I haven't seen that either. Yeah, kids getting harmed in movies is disturbing, especially when you are a kid watching that, because it's supposed to be like off limits, you know? Yeah. Michael Myers doesn't kill kids until the recent movie. He does yeah. now. Yeah. But the first memory I have of seeing a kid get killed in a movie was the Toxic Avenger. Oh, yes. A car backs <laughs> over a kid's head. He gets run over. He's on oh, his Oh, the bike. watermelon seed. Yeah, yeah. And then the car backs <laughs> over him and crushes his head. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, that that was not cool. I thought it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, now, sure. But yeah, that's how that movie got made, is that his brother took all the profits from his first movie and backed this movie. And it was a, this could get closed down at any moment type of affair. Yeah. They were sort of hand to mouth day by day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of things just to cut costs. Like the fact that it was a studio movie meant that it was cheaper. Yeah. So they shot all this on a soundstage. Or 90% of it. Yep. It's so ambitious. The sets are crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it looks great too. I mean, the production mm. design is good. The cinematography is great. Yeah. There are some lovely compositions in here where mm. Santa's in the extreme foreground and there's things in the background or mm, he's in the background sure. and there's billiard balls in the foreground out of focus. And that was a cool moment, the billiard balls. Yeah. <laughs> he just goes to the table and he like toys with one and then he rolls it towards the camera really hard. Yeah. I actually took note of that mentally because that's the kind of thing that helps with your pacing. You know, there was kind of like a more quiet moment and then you have this moment with the billiard balls and he chucks it at the camera and there's this like hard sound that gets us into the next sequence and kind of like makes it feel like, okay, here we go into the next set piece. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I think he does play with foreground, background mm-hmm. quite a lot. With the car scene as well, when uh, the mum crashes a car and it kind of goes over the ledge towards the camera. Yeah. Apparently it's held by a rope so that it didn't actually hit the camera. Um, <laughs> one scene that I was a bit confused about was the scene where they focus on Santa from behind mm-hmm. and then there's a cut to a statue 
of what looks like Santa. Yeah, there's like a match dissolve. I don't really understand the point of it. <laughs> like, are we supposed to be confused? I thought maybe he set it up so it looked like Thomas would see him as Santa, but it wasn't Santa, it was the statue, but then they don't really refer to it. I, I was confused yeah. by that. To me, that just felt like an idea that the director had that he thought would be cool to visually bridge two scenes. Right. Yeah. It plays like that, and it's a tableau, isn't it, using Thomas's Dungeons & Dragons figurine. So he's got, like, Santa Claus as an ogre. Oh, um, right. And he's got, like, a Peter Pan figure. So an eternally youthful, adventuresome boy. Right. Oh, you know <laughs> what? This movie is smarter than we take it for, guys. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you can see there's little touches. I mean, particularly yeah. in that shot, I don't know if it was deliberate, I'm assuming it is, but as it pans around, you've got these two figures in opposition to each other, and then deep in the background, there's the knight suit, which kind of plants the seed of where the grandfather is going. <laughs> the grandfather right. ends up stuck in a knight suit for the last third of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, great shots in the movie. We have talked about point of view shots from kids from Explorers. Was it Explorers that we did? Flight of the Navigator. Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. yeah. Because there are a lot of those point of view shots from Thomas's point of view, like low angle shots looking up or, mm. or a lot of camera shots at his eye level. And then other shots from an adult point of view. So a lot of high angle shots, mm. um, a lot of things in the foreground, which were really cool. I don't know whether utilized as well as they could be and definitely more almost, yeah, music video-esque and mm. how visual it was. Yeah, I think this is a perfect movie to put on at a bar or at a party. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> to like contribute to the mood and like every once in a while people look up at the screen and be blown away by what they're seeing. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it suits that context better than like a, a sit down. Yeah, I, I think it really does. And I saw like a super cut or was it a trailer of, of the film and it looks really good Yeah, as sort of all the action scenes cut together in sequence. But, yeah, the experience of watching the movie doesn't quite work. It doesn't take off. Yeah. It, it kind of, like, never delivers on a promise. It sets itself up, but, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't deliver. When it feels like things are starting to get going, it'll take a break for a montage of the kid feeling sad. Yeah. Or <laughs> the guy will catch him, and then suddenly they're just in separate spaces again. Yeah. There's one part in the movie where I think the policeman arrives... And I was just really confused because Santa's just got hold of Thomas and then suddenly they're apart. They're in separate rooms. And Thomas yeah. is like free <laughs> yeah. to move. Oh, right. It's so strange. Yeah. yeah. And it should be a really tense scene. Like a lot of this reminds me of home invasion movies like Panic Room. I mm. mean, especially because in this movie, like that one, there's a character that needs insulin. Right. Mm. So that's sort of there as a pressure point. Yeah. I did like the fact that his inability to see very clearly does pay off in that he ends For up sure. waving a gun randomly around yeah. his point of view. Yeah. And that that works. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I that thought that good. worked as well. And the scene where he's kind of backed into a corner in the underground cavern with Santa advancing with the knife. I thought that was tense as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the scene where Thomas accidentally destroys his wrist gadget mm. was not great. Like, it was mainly blur. Like, I didn't really yeah. even see what was going on. <laughs> yeah, they cut to a close-up of it smashing against the door, and they kind of, like, had to slow it down artificially Yeah, in post. So and it's could, just yeah. mainly blur. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The most effective moment for me was when he jumped out of the back of the car that the kid got in near the end. Oh, right. And he popped right. out of the back. I got yeah. that. That was a little jump scare for me. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it never really takes advantage of the prime opportunities it has to ramp up tension and suspense. Yeah. Or it does, and then you're confused by the outcome. Like the toy train scene. Right. Like it just kind of fizzled. Yeah, it doesn't go off. It doesn't go <laughs> off. Literally. It's kind of a visual <laughs> motif for the movie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Awards. It's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite wholesome family holiday parts of the film in the number of no wait, Santa's killing everyone categories. <laughs> Best quote. I think my favourite quote was when the vagrant or crazy Santa was playing Santa Claus in front of the toy store and he obviously had like a fake beard over his mm. actual beard and he just wasn't selling the Santa thing at all. And this... <laughs> This little girl was sitting in his lap. He was being like inappropriately touchy with her. <laughs> and then she just looked him in the face and she said, I don't like your face. <laughs> You're not the real Santa Claus. And then he smacked her. Um, yeah. So that made me laugh the, the, when she said the line, not the hitting of the children. That's not funny. No, no, definitely no. not. No, no. I, I liked her deadpan delivery on that. <laughs> Yes. My favorite quote is when the mother says to her Bob Cratchit character, I'll call the police. They know me. <laughs> so I'm, try I'm trying to figure out if this is just white privilege or oh. if she has this really long rep sheet. Right. <laughs> yeah. She's a hardened criminal that has now <laughs> turned straight and become a very successful businesswoman. I like both. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she's the kingpin of a toy store syndicate. Yeah. And yes. she's got a lot of connections on the inside. Yeah. She does. Yeah. She yeah. uses Minitel for. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's all a child trafficking <laughs> operation. <laughs> Run through Minitel. <laughs> yeah. The circus is just a lure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best hair or costume? Well, there's the obvious hair. <laughs> oh yes the mullet oh yes that takes up oh yeah half of the screen <laughs> it's disgusting isn't it i mean yeah. normally people that have mullets have kind of curly hair but straight black jet black hair yeah and greasy as well so greasy what a strange yeah. time mine was actually the mum because I noticed that when she goes to work, she's dressed either like a 19th century dandy or a highwayman, which yeah, <laughs> kind I noticed of that too. ties back to Duncan's theory that she's a criminal kingpin. <laughs> <laughs> she just reminded me of Adam and the Ants from Stand and Deliver. Just, yeah. It just looks like a frock coat and a waistcoat, and I think she's wearing jodhpurs and boots. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, she looked like she was about to join the Napoleonic Wars or something. Yeah. It looks like a, a period costume. <laughs> it really does. Most 80s moment. Also the mullet. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is reeking of the 80s, late 80s specifically, so it's hard to pick out something more 80s than that mullet. Um, <laughs> but I would say I'm going to go with the French ripoff of Eye of the Tiger that opens the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That's a good call. Yeah. yeah. It's so obvious what they were going for, but they, you know, didn't want to pay the rights. So they right. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but it's so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason for it is, in some cases, is because I know that you have to have a certain amount of French language content on the radio in France. I'm not sure if this is still the case, but they were trying to protect the French language and not have all this American and British music coming in and taking up too much of the stage. Mm -hmm. So you would get covers and very, very close remakes or inspired by songs right. mm. with gruff French voices on the <laughs> yeah. track. And it's hilarious. Yeah, right. I of the Bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> Big hit, French radio, 1989. Indeed. How about you, Dan? Uh, my most 80s was just all the Stallone references. I mean, Rambo and, and Rocky. I know Rocky was a 70s film, but I, I think in the 80s was rife with a lot of references to Rambo with Hot Shots. And, was Hot Shots an 80s movie? Was that 90s? I would say early 90s, maybe late yeah, 80s. I think so. Yeah. Because I think of like the 2000s, the most referenced movie was The Matrix. Yeah. And even to this day, that Rocky montage scene is still parodied and referenced. Mm. Totally. Conrad? 80s? Mine was the Minitel. Mm -hmm. We've described it before, but yeah. This early internet that was exclusively to France. Yeah, and, that yeah. no one understands apart from French people. <laughs> yeah. You just see it in car boot sales now, or brocage as they call it. They're just selling them off now because it's just like um, retro tech that people collect. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's really interesting. Yeah. Learn something. Favorite scene. I think my favorite scene was probably when the kid was working underneath the car. Oh, yes. And he was asking for tools. Grandpa was his assistant and handing him tools. I just thought that that was like really fun. And it set up Grandpa's vision problems. And, you know, it sold this kid as not just a computer genius, but as a mechanical genius as well. And it was like a cool old car. I like the way it was shot. I like the relationship dynamic. And mm. uh, it's one that sticks out to me. Yeah. yeah. And I like it. He one. just jumps in and just starts hooning around. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Dan? Uh, I really like the introduction of, of Santa. Like when he appears from the fireplace and uh, Thomas is just like awestruck by this magical moment and there's like fog everywhere and bell music box childlike music and it just really conveys that sense of absolute wonder and magic as as a child and then and then he kills a dog um so i really like that sort of juxtaposition between the the, the two parts of the scenes and uh, yeah it works <laughs> Wow, that's twisted. <laughs> you sicko. Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah. Most cliche horror moment. Well, I don't know if it was a super cliche at this point, but I've seen the insulin thing a lot. Oh, yeah. Maybe this was an early example of it. That's a very sure, common sure, sure. pressure point, as I think uh, Conrad said. Yeah. When you're, when you're trapped on the inside and somebody needs that medicine. Mm-hmm. That's right. The inhaler is always one. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, there's always a kid with an asthma inhaler. Yeah. yeah. I was really applauding Jake Gyllenhaal recently. He was in this Netflix movie where he was a 911 operator. And uh, he is the first actor I've ever seen use an asthma inhaler correctly. Because every movie I've seen, they just take a, a puff and immediately breathe out. And you think, 
well, that's not going to bloody do anything. Mm. Whereas Jake actually held it in oh. for 10 seconds and then breathed out. Right. Thought, Finally, somebody who's done some research or is asthmatic. I don't know. Okay. Maybe he is. <laughs> do you have asthma? Is that how you know? Yeah, I do. Mm. So mm. I was jumping up and down saying, finally, I'm, I feel seen. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing that it took somebody so long. I know. Mm. 2021 before we saw proper asthmatic representation <laughs> in movies. We've come a long way. We have, yeah. <laughs> well, I wrote down psychopathic man-child because that does seem to be a, oh, a popular yes. trope uh, in horror movies. I'm surprised we didn't get to see his childhood bedroom and it's still sort of all wallpapered with cowboys and Indians and filled with comic books and things. But oh, right. Yeah, like the dead zone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Psycho. But another thing I was going to mention is the red-haired best friend who's supposedly uh, not cool, because that seems to be a trope. And I don't know why that's a trope all the time. Red-haired kids never get a good deal in <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. That's, that's my plight. Now you know what yeah. I've been dealing with. Yeah, see, I was it's hard. particularly going to ask you how you felt about this because you've never been represented well in movies, I don't think. It's always the freckly kid who's the weirdo yeah. or the dork. Even in the Riverdale a- adaptation, they cast a non-redhead and they dyed his hair. Really? Oh, yeah, right. Best special effect. The dog murder. That was very effective. Mm. Practical effect shocked me. They pulled it off well. Yeah. I'm glad they did not actually kill a dog. Yes. How about you, Dan? Uh, I, I have to just mention all the... It's not really special effects, but all the production design was great. Mm. The model work on the castle slash house, just really, really visually stunning stuff. Uh, there was one scene that really confused me, though. The maze? Like, what part of the house was yeah. that? <laughs> like, why would you have a maze in your house? <laughs> and whose portrait was that on the floor? I don't know. I think it's business mom. I think Is she it? had a art gallery maze built in her house just to confuse her kid or okay. keep her kid away from her office space or something. <laughs> and then when you find her office space, it's like something out of Edward Scissorhands. It's like a darkened attic mm. with one round window and an old-timey <laughs> phone. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. Favorite sound effect. I liked a little song that came out of the model train. Oh, yeah. That, that was one of the few moments where they actually spent some time to yeah. build tension for one of the yeah. trap sequences. But then, yeah, it does fizzle. I mean, it's such a classic technique, though. Just stick a music box. Mm-hmm. Innocent music box tune on, on a toy that's about to explode. Yeah. But it does work. The only sound that stood out for me was the dog, the dog killing scene again. Mm-hmm. So just when he hits the, the floor, I, well, it's supposed to be the dog it's just like something crunchy and unsettling about that sound yeah. that you don't really expect. Yeah, it's not overdone either. It's not like, you know, somebody punching a lasagna. It's, it's, it's. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, it's it's not walking dead. <laughs> like, you touch yeah. something and it's just. A... Yeah. 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 <laughs> punching a lasagna would be a great album title. <laughs> yeah, that was my college band. <laughs> <laughs> Most funniest moment. Probably the montage of the kid <laughs> sulking in, in the attic next to the moonlit window. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> with that song. And the song says, Happy Birthday Christmas for some reason. Happy Birthday Christmas. 
And those <laughs> lyrics in combination with this like slow zoom in. And they do the slow zoom in on the kid and he's looking really sad. And then they dissolve to the exact same slow zoom in <laughs> <laughs> again. It's not the exact same shot. It's just the same setup. They just dissolve to the same zoom with the kid slightly shifted. <laughs> and it's like... You know, I'm talking about becoming a man and, and Jesus and Christmas and stuff. It's just it's just a real heady brew of, mm, uh, yeah, of emotion really right is. there. Yeah, And totally yeah. out of – like, I, I'm wanting the movie to just, like, really get into gear at that point. And they, they just kind of, like, you know, sit back and <laughs> wish Christmas a happy birthday. Mm, yeah. It's funny. It's good stuff. Let's have a Bonnie Tyler music video yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. That, that was exactly mine. Especially because after you've got that wonderful moonlit shot, then he buries his dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that whole sequence is great. Yeah. It he is. Makes, it's amazing. makes the cross yeah. with the knife and... Yeah. takes it into the ground. It's like... And you get the gauzy flashback to happier times with the dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the time just with Bonnie Tyler on the soundtrack. Right, right, right. It's just, like, I was not expecting this in a French movie, Bonnie Tyler. Right. Mm. It's like, what the mm. hell is happening right now? See, <laughs> so, yeah, I was in uncontrollable fits of hysterics. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's our movie awards. Yay! Happy holidays. This is Kelly Maroney, and you are listening to Movie Oubliette. All right, it's final verdict time. Should Deadly Games slash Game Over slash 3615 code period Noel be liberated to rampage at Christmas time, killing everyone in sight and be appreciated by all? Or should it be set on fire, shot with darts? and plummet through the trapdoor <laughs> into the hidden oubliette under the castle to be lost forever. Mm. All right. None of us had seen this. What were your final thoughts? Duncan. Well, I'm glad this movie exists. I'm glad that I watched it. It's really unique. It swings for the fences. It's trying to say something. I'm not sure exactly what, but it's trying. <laughs> I think it has a lot of flaws. Uh, it doesn't quite work as a movie. It was not an easy watch. I watched it in several sittings. It felt like a long 91 minutes. Mm. But I think that it it is the perfect kind of movie to play at a party or play at a bar mm. or, or to, you know, like introduce to somebody who's into crazy, weird, obscure movies. And it's so ambitious. I can't, you know, I, I could never like just completely dismiss something that is this stylized and ambitious so I, I, I would save this. I would release it. However, it like I said, it doesn't completely work. and Or it, it really just doesn't work at all as a movie for me. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I was not invested in this movie. It was more like a collection of like cool things. I think the main problem is yeah. the antagonist. Right. The motivation of the bad guy. Him being just kind of like a random mentally ill guy did make it more scary because he was unpredictable, but mm. his motivation should have been more clear mm. and the relationship between him and the kid could have been more fun. As it was, it was just kind of creepy and sad. Mm. So, you know, if this were to be remade, it could I think it could work much better than this version does. Sure. So I would not dismiss this movie. I would keep it around. However, I feel like something does need to be flushed. All right. And it's not going to be this movie, but I think that we should flush Home Alone 3. Right? <laughs> right. Home Alone 1 is great. 
Home Alone 2 is pretty good. There's a lot of similarities between this and Home Alone. It's like weird amount of similarity, mm. similarities. At a certain point with the Home Alone series, it was just totally a cash in. They didn't have Macaulay Culkin anymore. It was mm. all just about like violent gags. And that started at three. So I would, I would completely for all time forget Home Alone 3. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Duncan, on all of the all of those aspects about this film, three six whatever, <laughs> ridiculous name. I don't know why they went with that as their first option. I think this movie is really deeply flawed, but I think there are a lot of things that make it a step above sort of trashy horror. Yeah, the characters of, of Thomas and his granddad were really great. I wanted more. Kevin McAllister type traps and spending more time on them, all that sort of stuff, but they it's kind of breeze through it. And you, you're right, it is this movie is a collection of really cool one scenes just glued together. Mm. Yeah, and set design was really great though. And it's it's definitely a movie where if you hate Christmas, this is the movie for you. And yeah. if, if you hate Santa, <laughs> yeah. By all means, this is this is right up your alley. But in terms of going places that you don't expect, I, I really appreciate this film and, and sort of depicting childhood trauma and... <laughs> <laughs> Dog murder. <laughs> Dog murder, um, yeah. I, I would actually release this movie with warnings that it's, it's definitely not perfect. It's not a perfect mm. film. No, I think you're right. It's not a bad film. It's clearly trying, it's going for something. It's visually stylish. There's some great effects work. It's ambitious given the amount of money and the resources that they had. And it does something that Hollywood and British movies just would not do, which mm. is is kill dogs and cut kids and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kill Santa. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Blue Santa out of his socks. Yeah. So it's a, a little bit shocking. So it's entertaining. And also in a, so bad, it's good kind of way. Yeah. You, you have to see the montage with the Bonnie Tyler song to believe it. So mm. it's not a great movie. I wasn't invested in it. It didn't work. I've got no idea what the theme is, whether you're supposed to hang on to your childhood or, <laughs> or not, because you'll go crazy and invade someone's home. I, just, I, I can't, <laughs> figure out what it's going for here but I didn't have a bad time watching it I did watch it in one sitting and I was I was entertained throughout and the second time I watched it I noticed more things than you know the careful shot layouts and yeah mm-hmm. I think on on repeat watches it, it makes more sense I don't think mm-hmm. it works on a first watch no mm-hmm. no it doesn't and it's not a great home invasion movie or, or anything like that really it doesn't work as mm. a thriller but it you know, it's entertaining and it's a little bit irreverent and it's quite shocking for 1989. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, why not? Merry Christmas. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to all a good night. Indeed. And you, t- you said about ditching Home Alone 3 and there's a new Home Alone coming apparently. It'll be out by the time this episode's out. Home Sweet Home Alone. It's a Disney Plus exclusive. Great. Yay. Well, has this one got yeah, Macaulay Culkin in it? Is it like a cameo or something? It'll be a surprise cameo uh, if he is, because he's not listed in the credits I'm okay, looking at. Right, right. So yeah, there's, there's six of them, including the new wow. Disney Plus exclusive. Wow. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they may or may not exist without Code Pair Noel. Who mm. knows? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So watch this to see where it all began. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, let's release it. Off you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, Duncan, it's been really fun doing another episode with you, especially a festive holiday season episode. Where can people follow you and find out more about uh, what you've got coming up? I mean, I have my YouTube channel, uh, So You're Dating a Vegan, but we haven't posted since uh, the spring. We've got an episode in the can, and... Mm -hmm. But that we shot that back in April. So what the plan is is to release it with like a little little context around it to you know catch people up on what's going on. Uh, my wife is preggers, and we're expecting another kid in three weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the that's the latest with me. My website is duncanskiles.org. You can see some of my work there. And um, my movie, The Clofish Killer, is on Hulu and Netflix. And mm-hmm. uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's fun as always. This is the most Christmas-related fun I've had in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Now, I'd highly encourage everyone to check out the YouTube channel, uh, although with the caveat that it may turn you vegan. That's what happened to me. So just bear that in mind. And also watch The Clove Hitch Killer, which won't turn you vegan, but it will give you one of the most original mm. and exciting serial killer movies that you're likely to see in, in recent times. So yes. do check it out. We loved it. Thank you. Yes. And if you do love us and you want to keep up to date with our future episodes, you can follow us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as Movie Oubliette. You can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. Yes. Yes. What other Christmas movies do you think we should cover in the future? Yes. Sci-fi, horror. There's a lot of horror, but... Anything you can think of, we would love to hear from you. Yes, yes, yes. And if you want to support us even more, you can become a patron. Head over to Patreon, and for as little as a dollar, you get access to extended segments, full interviews with our guests, and for $5, you get access to that minisode once a month where we discuss a new recently released film. Yes, and next year we've decided we'll do the minisodes as video episodes, so you'll be able to see us as well (laughs) yes you will you can put faces to our voices our disembodied voices (laughs) i'm not sure if that's a benefit actually maybe maybe we should pay other people for having to see that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it'll be a nice nice change i think i think it will i think it's nice to feel closer to our patrons Mm, mm. and uh lastly it is coming up to Christmas time where we where gift giving is a plenty. So you can get access to our merchandise at Redbubble to give as gifts as well if you want. <laughs> or just for yourselves. Yes, you give yourself, treat yourself to a bit of movie oubliette memorabilia. There's mugs, shower curtains, you name it, it's on there. It's really yes. quite disturbing how many different things you can get our logo on. Mm. Mm. And hopefully soon we'll we'll have some more designs. Yes, we should do, yes. Because we reached that target on our patrons. So Mm. we are now looking into getting some more designs for our merchandise, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's us for 2021. Thanks so much for listening in. It's been great hearing from you and sharing these movies with you. And uh, we can't wait until next year. Mm. Yeah which will hopefully be better 
than the last two years <laughs> in yes. terms of the world. Uh, I, th- I yeah. think we said that last year. But let's hope 2022 is a banger. <laughs> Thanks again, Duncan, for joining us in this uh, festive episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure and it's really fun talking about movies with you guys. Yeah, you too. Yes. Take care. All right. We'll see you all next year, listeners. Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't come up the movie you'll be at. Penuel, c'est tu exist sur la pensée, s'il te plaît.